Today on the Cloth Diaper Podcast, I have an amazing guest. A former volunteer of the Rebecca Foundation provides insight into the organization's recent collapse. The Cloth Diaper Podcast is a weekly podcast dedicated to everything cloth diaper. We talk to brands, mamas, and retailers from around the world. My name's Allison, and... I first got involved with the Rebecca Foundation because I was um, partnering, volunteering for another nonprofit locally, and they kept getting cloth diapers and didn't know what to do with them. I was a cloth diapering mom, so I figured, well, there has to be somebody advocating. There has to be someone who knows what to do with them, how to, you know, clean them, how to pass them back out, how to do that. So. I decided to reach out to the Rebecca Foundation, and in a couple of months later, I got a email back, and I had a phone interview with Sadie, who was one of the former board directors, who is amazing, by the way, and I will never say anything otherwise, and she talked to me about the job and kind of the, the responsibilities and expectations of a chapter president. I believe that was, I was involved in the Rebecca Foundation for a year and a half, and I left in May of this year, early May. So I cannot remember the exact time I started, but I believe it was maybe, maybe early fall or something. Yeah, and I just, I had a cloth diaper store in my area that was very, very active in the community, and they were getting donations, and they wanted to give them to me, and we partnered up, and it was just working really, really well. The, the more I got into things in the Rebecca Foundation, the more I realized it wasn't transparent. We had regional kind of director positions called hubs, and they oversaw each region, and that was kind of part of the leadership under the board and we were the ones who made sure that all the chapters got their items out in a timely manner that everything was documented all of that and i was offered that position um i did hold that position for i believe believe nine months or so toward the end and i had a horrible experience in that and that's really where my eyes were opened um, about the transparency not being there and the answers that I needed were never there. Um, so that's that's kind of an intro to what I went through. <laughs> and and you can go ahead and ask questions too now. I'm sorry, I'm just talking away. <laughs> no, that's what I just wanted to hold some space for the listening really to these stories about for anybody listening, the Rebecca Foundation, we should probably introduce them is a cloth diaper was a former cloth diaper charity in the United States it started in 2012. Okay, in 2012. And then in March 2013, the US chapters began. And this year, they declared that they had 80 plus chapters across Canada, the United States, and Mexico. And they provide cloth diapers to a variety of different families in states across the United States. October 1st, the board, the board announced their resignation with a letter. And I've put that letter up on the show notes for this episode. And within the 24 hours of that letter, we saw the organization pretty much disappear off the internet without a lot of formal 
messaging. And so we've got a little bit of that story so far. And you're saying that this trouble isn't really recent, that there has been a lot of discrepancies and lack of transparency for probably a year or two now, which is in line because I was just looking up their tax information online and they didn't file taxes for 2017, or at least they're not public yet. And then 2018 is not over yet. They have been asked to release financials and to um, release tax records, but they will not do so. The board said an audit was going on because they were told an audit was going on. However, it was never actually <laughs> um, asked for. That was just, you know, to try and keep things hidden for as long as possible. So how do you understand the organization to have been organized? So there's the CEO was Amanda LaBelle for yes. until what, October 1st? Yeah. Yes. And then she operated with a board of directors that was established sometime 2015. And those board of directors have been a working party, kind of. Like, they didn't seem like they actually had any power from some screenshots I was reading or that they weren't really, I don't know. It just didn't read like there was a lot of commu effective communication. Does that make um, sense? Yeah, there wasn't. I have a lot of communications with the board of directors because of my role as a, as a regional hub, a regional director. Um, I was the Midwest region for a while. And so I had, I had to kind of work with them. Um, and there didn't, there was just a lot of issues with transparency and not getting answers and passing the buck. And it turns out that what I am gathering now and learning is Amanda control the financials. The treasurer did not even have the information for our financials. Jesse was also on the account. By the way, guys, Jesse is also Amanda's husband. He was also on the board of directors. That's what I just read about the treasurer. It was, I noted that there was a treasurer, but then I was reading that she didn't, wasn't on any of the accounts. So what's even the point of a treasurer? <laughs> yeah, I, I really think that what happened was, and I say this with all respect to the board members, because I think they meant to do well and they were well-intentioned, but I, I don't think that they knew what a board was supposed to do. Um, no one really had much experience with nonprofit work before, and I think what happened was Amanda would surround herself with people who she could manipulate, and from talking to them, that's kind of what they're saying, that when anyone brought something up, uh, Amanda alleged she was being attacked and people were going after her. And so then the board would stand up for her and defend her. And even when they were told lies over and over, they didn't want to believe it. And to me, at first, that seems like a cop-out because I saw it and I left. And... I even whistle blew. So to me, it seems like a cop-out at first, but at the same time, I think it's important to remember that a lot of the board members um, were close to Amanda. They knew Amanda outside of the foundation. They were friends. They, you know, did things together, their families. So I think it would be hard probably for me as well if 
I found out one of my best friends was using me and lying, you know. Um, I think they didn't want to admit it. Trust in general is to acknowledge that is hard, that you've been betrayed. Yeah. And even I think a lot of the chapter presidents this week feel very conflicted and mm-hmm. very confused about what's all gone on and yes. trying to put those pieces together and understand. In some some aspects, you're you're calling attention that some members of the board could have been more preactive in the past couple months in trying to escalate the situation. Knowing the full picture, they see that now and they're acknowledging that now, but being so ingrained in so in in the middle of the Amanda culture, it was very much like like mean girls. <laughs> it was very Regina George. It would, you know, it was very one thing to your face and another behind your back. So and you know what? I guess I think we should also probably just remember that a lot of these women are just moms involved in the yeah. community, right? And that yeah, you jump into a nonprofit. Oh, I wouldn't even know where to start myself, right? Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, but I, yeah, I thought they would tell me. And, you know, and, and just to come to find out that we were all pretty novice and, and that's, you know, awesome that it was grassroots and volunteer run and that we were trying really hard to make a difference. But at the same time, in the end, you do need to have people who understand nonprofits and how they work and nonprofit law and, you know, financial transparency and all of those things, or it cannot work. No, it won't work. And that's exactly what we've we've seen that unfold. I I work with a few other nonprofits, Hike It Baby, for example, right, which has been growing massively in the United States over the last two years, and that's been their Mm -hmm. biggest challenge, but they've consulted with lawyers, and they bring in nonprofit specialists, and they're working through making sure that all of that is there. Awesome. And that's awesome, and that's, that's been one of my questions today has been, well, so what do we do now? Like, we just saw the Rebecca Foundation, which is like a staple name in the cloth diaper community, fall apart because of lack of transparency, and now I'm second guessing everything. So what, from your perspective, do we need to do when we see a cloth diaper charity? Should we, do we trust the words of all of them or do we need to start questioning and asking things? Questions, I, I think guess. that if they are not being transparent, then absolutely they need to be called on. If you go online, you can see Jake's diapers. They post all of their financial information. They're very forthcoming. They're wonderful people. I have not really looked into giving diapers, giving hope, but I haven't heard terrible things about them. I know that they were on hold a bit due to funds, but, um, and I know that some of the former Rebecca Foundation volunteers and board members are hoping to restart a different national organization. Um, I honestly don't think it will work because I think that our names are kind of marked at this point. I think that um, the integrity has been, you know, compromised on most of us, um, if not all of us really. And I think that really you have to do a local level local level people want to give more local level benefits people directly in your area i mean that's really honestly what i'd say is that we need to get local regional statewide diaper banks to be more friendly to cloth diapers 
I love that you say that because last night when I'm looking through all of this and I'm thinking about, I know you haven't, didn't know about the podcast till now, but I've talked to a few other moms as my 10th show. And one of the things that they have told me that they feel we need is more cloth diaper communities. And continually they've been saying this need, not necessarily for this internet community, but for local for in-person, in-place communities. So hopefully exactly what you've just said, that's the benefit that we might get out of the Rebecca Foundation is that these chapters are going to be able to create local support systems that really can empower a local community space, which I think we need so much right now. Honestly, it was kind of set up for failure. Um, We were all incorporated through one chapter and that was the Bend chapter um, through Amanda's bank. So what would happen is people would get gung-ho and get excited and join. Mm -hmm. It was very easy to join. You didn't have to make any financial commitment. You just needed to have a short phone interview and sign a form. When I was on the um, team for new membership, I voiced concerns that I thought maybe we needed to be a little more um, digging into people's backgrounds, making sure they were qualified, and that they weren't going to be financially burdening their family because you do have to upkeep your washing machine. You do have to use detergent. You do have to drive, you know, things like that. But they, Amanda said she wanted to give everybody a chance, and so I deterred to her judgment. She basically, it was set up so it was a constant revolving door. We would have people join. All you had to do was sign a quick form and do a phone interview. Um, we had a really informal process with the whole um, training program. They were assigned to a regional director and let loose. Um, <laughs> we had a, a form of um, communication and a website that had all of our loan information, family information, anything. Uh, everything we needed to see, we were not trained to properly look at, analyze, and share public or you know private information, access to things like people's insurance or, you know, their um, medical records, things like that, they would often send in as their um, of, you know, residency and things like that. Very few people had access to those things, but we all did have access to quite a bit of information on people. And um, so, yeah, it was just kind of, it was set up for people to kind of flounder to either sink or swim. And what I would find would happen would be people would come in very enthusiastic, would hold fundraisers or get a lot of donations in the first, you know, 90 days. Then they would realize it was more work than they wanted to do, or they would realize that it was just, you know, something they weren't going to commit to long term. And then they would leave or they would go inactive and you could take a break, go on hold as long as you needed with no repercussion. If you did not send a package to a loan family, you had no repercussions. You weren't evoked status, you weren't evoked standing, you weren't, you know, three strikes, you're out, there was nothing. So when I was a hub, that was one of my my problems I had was I would say, well, how do I keep people accountable if 
it doesn't matter. And quite often families wouldn't get what they were promised and they would never know who to speak to. They didn't even know who their chapter president was to get the help they needed. So it was just not set up well. And I really do think that was part, I really do think that that was part of the way she wanted it to be so that no one would catch on. She moved like three different times during the whole experience. She, they were fun. They were founded in Tennessee, I believe, or Texas. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Tennessee. Tennessee. Okay. And she moved to Texas and then she moved somewhere else in Texas and then to Bend, Oregon. Uh-huh. Yeah. And everywhere she has said that people did not support her and she didn't understand why. And, you know, all of us are thinking, well, it must just be cloth diapers that people aren't ready for it. I think we're starting to see more of the whole picture now that maybe they were realizing her game faster than we were. That's one of my, like, to completely segue, though, as much as I love, would love to continue to talk about that chapter flundering, like, you really do, I mean, that is a huge issue in itself, is, like, looking at it, well, here we are, that we're not, we're revealing that Amanda, the CEO, wasn't very trust-free, but we can't, also, we also can't confirm that every chapter president is somebody who is a leader in the community that is worth entrusting that information to right? Like yes, you could I mean, have anybody could apply to be a president is what you're saying. And they could have access to diapers, information, and the organization, which is also detrimental and scammy to say the yeah. least, right? Which opens up the yes. to so much potential scam. So much. I know. It's, that's terrifying. And then going on to your topic about Amanda, that's something I've also been reading in the threads. And I I had written down is that people are coming out in Facebook groups about their experiences with Amanda and the organization and that there's a trend that the feelings was not good. Like people had negative interactions with her. They had vibes. And it's so easy when, if I was to come up to you and be like, I had a vibe about so-and-so, like (laughs) you're going to look at me like, cool. Okay. You might believe me a little bit, but not if you didn't have that vibe too. Right. Yeah, exactly. So if there's a lot of people having positive and just a few negative, or people are too scared to say that they had a negative experience with somebody or that it means anything of her character because she is trying to do something that appears to look good, right? Like, yes. yes. how do you say, oh, you know what? I feel like she feels scammy, but she's doing this really great thing. So mm-hmm. maybe, that, yeah. maybe that outweighs each other. And now we're saying, oh, that doesn't really, does it. And that's, and you know, that's why a lot of the board members, well, not a lot, but I mean, I, I think a lot of them really didn't know what they were supposed to be doing and did not know how much lying was going on. There was one board member who I talked to extensively about it and she saw the problems, but she wanted to stay within the organization to change from within. And she thought it she believed that ultimately Amanda would step down if confronted with enough information. A troublemaker, I guess, because I saw it and I said, no. I mean, I completely shut down. I did not talk to people when I left for like a month or so. I I blocked almost everyone and still kept a lot of people blocked for a while from the foundation because I was paranoid. And then I saw in a scam group, about Project Pink Lotus items, and that they were being charged $25 a kit for those, 
which was supposed to cover shipping and materials for the seamstress. I personally sewed some things for Project Pink Lotus and um, was pretty active in that. And I was never given money for materials or shipping. One member of the sewing team was, and um, she definitely sewed a ton, so she deserved that. And so basically what was happening is they were selling cloth pad kit for $25 a pop, and items weren't being sent or what they got fell apart or at other times um, they were missing their menstrual cups, which was a $5 add-on. Another thing was that people would apply and they'd be told that they'd receive their items within three weeks and it would take sometimes six, nine months and they wouldn't be offered a refund. So I started seeing this misinformation being circulated in that group that, well, the reason the Rebecca Foundation isn't sending pads is because they don't have the donations and the volunteers to do so. And I said, I finally just said, you know what, that's it. It had been a couple months, so maybe, yeah, a couple months. And I said, no, you know, I'm done being quiet. I'm done being nice. And I said, you know what, I sent a batch of 40 pads when I left, about 40 pads, uh, when I left uh, as a donation. And Amanda said they weren't good enough. She didn't like them and um, told the lady in charge of the sewing program to send them back to me. Now, all items that weren't good enough for kits were supposed to be extras for free, like not to charge people for, um, just to add to packages, but she didn't even want to have mine in stock. And so, I, it was just so hateful. And that's when I went and I said, no, I'm gonna show you the screenshots, people. She actually didn't want my stuff. Like she has donations, she has people donating, she has people who are willing to help. She could definitely pull this off if she treated people with respect and was kind to them. And I did get aggressive and I'm not happy with everything that I said, but I just was over it, you know? My next question was trying to figure out why. Why didn't this come to light earlier if other people were already getting jilted, if other people were already noticing that things weren't following through? Yes, because I think that everybody was so worried about not being implicated or about saving face or about appearing mean. I mean, I think, yeah, well, and also like there's a tendency of women, I think, you know, that we don't want to be mean. We don't want to hurt people. We don't want to be, we don't want to come off that way. We don't want people to think ill of us. Um, or if and, we fail, we don't and, know all the facts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And like we're moms and we're very compassionate people. We joined a group like this so that we could help others. We're not people who would easily go out of our way to bash people or to harm others. So it's just completely counterintuitive to the type of people that were involved in the Rebecca Foundation and um, the type of advocacy we were doing. It's not something that, you know, most of us were willing to put our names, put our information out there. And Amanda was so hateful and had the board so wrapped around her fingers and heating company lines and kept repeating things, expectations, ways we were supposed to address um, questions, things like that, that it just, you know, 
it was quite frankly scary that you were going to be lashed at, that you're going to be treated poorly. So I just think that everybody was so worried about how it would affect them as a person that they, I mean, we all are, we all want to protect ourselves and our families. I'm not, you know, saying anything yeah. against that. Um, I think they were worried about how it would come across, how they would be perceived on the internet, how they would be labeled by the Rebecca Foundation. Um, and I have found when I left the Rebecca Foundation that a lot of people already knew what was happening. They just also were afraid. Yeah, yeah. And that, just everything you just said there is the answer to one of my, my little questions that I had for you guys today. <laughs> and I see that Renee is not joining me, yes, so we will uh, ch I'll chat with her another time one-on-one. But was yeah. Renee will join me for a short interview as soon as we get the stars aligned again. I will share her stories and experience on the podcast as soon as I can, so stay posted. Is the cloth diaper community particularly vulnerable to scammers? And everything you just said there is one of the reasons why the cloth diaper community is particularly vulnerable to scammers, is that we are, we are women who are nice and we find reasons to forgive or to allow a lot of leeway in things and this this is really evident of why a lot this is not the first time the cloth diaper community has been taken advantage of there are plenty of stories on the internet about that um yeah like from i think this really to me resonates a lot with the original blow up in the cloth diaper community that led to fluff love and cd science with yeah and the cloth diaper commend commendium back in 2014 when she claimed she had the fire right and then mm -hmm. yeah the donations poured in but there were a lot of people like it came to that point that she was such a leader in the community that everybody trusted her they didn't think to doubt it and when somebody finally did and finally said it it totally blew up and uh yeah yes and i that this is not this is not the first time for the cloth diaper community and it's sad that there's a second time and anytime you have children involved i think it's really easy for corruption to come in because of the fact that you know you have you see pictures of these beautiful children in the promos in a cloth diaper you know you see a you know a picture of a mom holding a baby you see a family with children small children and things and and you see it next to these statistics um that one in three families are facing diaper need and that's just horrifying that's horrible for most of us to think about and i think that we're inclined to want to help others you know and so and especially with cloth diapering because when we're done with our diapers we don't want to toss them so i think that definitely it makes sense that people can be maybe a little forgiving in the cloth vapor community, but I don't think that's on us. I think that's on the people taking advantage. The scary statistic that I found this morning, this particularly to nonprofits, is that every year $77 million is fraudulently disappears from nonprofits in the United States. It's not just the cloth vapor community. Yes. We just have to ask questions and we have to be not scared to ask that question. That if we yeah. want to give money, that we are allowed to say, hey, I want to know what's going on here. Absolutely. They work for us. I mean, yeah. really. And and I think that we see that in the way that Jake Stipers has a servant attitude. I love that about them. Now, I'm not involved with Jake Stipers. After, after all these conversations and reading, that's really the only thing I feel we can really leave with people is 
to even as local local groups join up is to make sure that you ask well what are, what are your ask whatever question that you want to ask yes and if yeah. they can't answer it then move along we don't have to be obligated I mean, I, I know this sounds horrible, but we're not obligated to, in this hor I mean, this is a hard time in our lives. We're not obligated to lift up every single person we see. Now, I try to when I can, but it can't be to the point where it is harming you and harming your emotional wellness and harming your financial wellness. And that's a lot of what was happening in the Rebecca Foundation. There were chapter presidents who were selling personal items so that they could buy gas, so that they could deliver. I, there were people who were, who had just, you know, and, and they were well-intentioned. And that's wonderful. And I'm not trying to discount what they did, but no one in need should be having to feel like they need to lift up the people that also have needs. When we, we all can do this together, collectively, we can take care of each other. You know, this doesn't need to be one person's job or another person's job or one nonprofit's job. As can you- The Rebecca Foundation is an organization from what I'm beginning to understand has received thousands upon thousands of dollars in donations. So there's no reason really that chapters should have been in that position if things have been run accordingly appropriately proper setups had happened there's a ton of issues here that we've unfolded that that really compound a lot of the oh well, yeah and i mean and then you see with her political campaign what happened with that. <laughs> yeah right <laughs> like that's a great way to know that oh i guess that's probably one of the dominoes things really hit the fan when that rolled out that she lied on a political campaign I don't know how she thought she would get away with it forever. And it was so silly. Like none of us in the Rebecca Foundation would have cared if she did not have a degree. If she was doing her job and was professional, no one would have cared. Just don't pretend that you have a degree. It's pretty simple. <laughs> right? Yeah. I guess. It's, it's not hard to do. <laughs> um, I don't I don't have any more questions. Did you have any final thoughts? Anything that I didn't cover that you really want to bring to light today? I guess just know that your local chapter was probably trying to do their best. Yeah. And if you can talk reach out to your local chapter if you have one and they're active because they're processing a lot and they're brokenhearted too. I would just tell them, thank you for your service if you can and say, what can I do? Is there any way I can help you start a community program or start a small cloth diaper scholarship through a cloth diaper store, you know, or even, you know, talk to the local diaper banks or the local pregnancy resource centers and say, Hey, you know, is there room to add some cloth diapers? Is there room to add a diaper program? Um, because I think if the chapter presidents, if they were given community support, um, it would maybe make them more apt to wanting to continue advocacy um, and to not do so in a national forum. If you're listening to this and you've heard Allison say that if you're looking to help with the situation, to go talk to your chapter presidents, what I've heard Allison also say in today's episode is please don't volunteer to help if you don't have the space in your life. If it's gonna sacrifice something in your life, then this is not the right time for you. 
to make that step. Yes. But if you have the space in your life and that you have the time or you have the resources, whatever those resources are, then that's something that you can do is go and chat with your local president or vice president and see how you can help her or how you can help your community or whatever other resources are available in your community. Um, but don't do that if it's going to overextend you guys. Don't overdo it. Yes. Don't, don't yes. overextend yourself. I know a lot of people need reminders that it's okay to say no. This is the point in the show that we got interrupted by tiny children. I wanted to say, and not be specific, that I did, you know, I did try and continue some advocacy at the local level, but you know, there are just a lot of things, a lot of facets to working in advocacy, to working in, you know, diapering and things. And, you know, I had to say to myself, you know what, you're really not cut out for this. <laughs> like, like I'm great with creative aspects and marketing and things like that, but I'm just that great at, you know, looking at financials, looking at those things. So I did resign there in, in good graces um, because I just, you know, it, it's okay if you find time to volunteer, maybe you're enjoyable for you, you know, do what makes you happy and help others through that, I guess would be my advice. Yeah. And I always end every podcast with asking moms to share their best piece of advice for new parents. And I think that sums it up perfectly. Good. Yeah. All right. No problem. Yeah. Thank you so much. Go feed your children. Wow. That was a pretty impactful episode. I definitely learned a lot more from Allison than I was expecting to learn today. I knew that there was issues going on with Amanda and Jesse, but I wasn't really expecting there to be this long-seated issue. Keep in mind that Allison left the organization early this spring, so when we're talking, she's learning. She's sharing about her experience over the past year or two. So these are things that she was beginning to notice but also not sure how to bring them up it's easy for us to look back at it and like we said and point fingers but sometimes when you're in the thick of things you don't know what else to do you just keep going along you believe the stories you're being told I have a few other people who are interested in talking about this is issue as well as other ongoing cloth diaper news so stay posted. I'll have more episodes coming up this month. If you are somebody who would like to join me on the Cloth Diaper Podcast, we talk about everything from cloth diaper wash routines to brands, retailers, and cloth diaper news. So if you have a story or you just want to talk about cloth diapers because you're a cloth diaper nerd, give me a shout and I'll make it work. I'll also make sure that my husband's not downloading YouTube videos so we don't get that leg. Oh, I don't even know. He's never home, but today, when he decides to slow down my internet, you can find the Cloth Diaper Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, as well as Pinterest. We do have an email list going on on my website, www.clothdiaperpodcast.com. This episode is available on Podbean, iTunes, and YouTube. And if you ever want to get a hold of me, email me at bailey at clothdiaperpodcast.com. I can't wait to talk to you again. Bye.